Hi, I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for listening to this podcast. There are many more podcasts available at MyFaithRadio.com. Your support makes this possible. Thank you. And a warm welcome to the afternoon show. I'm Bill Arnold. I am so glad you joined me today, and I hope you had a chance to listen to Susie Larson live. I hope you've been having a great day. Maybe you caught Carmen in the morning. I'm so glad you keep tuned into Faith Radio. It makes all of us around here very happy, including me. And today we're going to do Guy Talk, the extended version, the extra 30-minute version, which I am uh, very glad about. My power panel today is Pastor Tom Parrish and Jeff Verdorn, gentlemen, welcome. Hi, Bill. Yeah. Hi, Bill. Good to hear you both, and nice to see you. Uh, we're, we've got uh, an invitation out right now. If you have a question, let us know what it is. You can send it over, 877-933-2484. And I will always uh, remind you, any question uh, that you might have from either God's Word or maybe there's... Uh, an issue that's gone on um, in your church that you'd like some clarification on that we can do our very best to help process it with you or whatever question you have about faith, religion, we'll do our very best. Right, gentlemen? Absolutely. Yeah. We try every day. Uh, we do try. We do try. All right. Let uh, let me get started here. I've got some awesome questions. Uh, let me start with this one. Um I wonder what Jesus' DNA would have looked like. My friend was a surrogate twice, and she said the baby would have none of her DNA at all. So that's just kind of a fun question to get things started. That is interesting. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if, if a, a egg gets implanted into somebody else's sure. womb, it's, yeah. it's not their DNA. Of course not. Yeah. So, Well, I would imagine if we could actually... Get a DNA sample, <laughs> you know. In that sense, um, it would still be a human because Jesus was fully human. Although you're not going to see direct connection with Joseph, or if that's the case with the, the mother, right? With the mother, so you know. But he he claimed, and he was, and he was declared fully human. So his <laughs> DNA would be just like ours. Yeah, it's astounding. I mean, if they had those little test kits back then. After he got done drinking a glass of water, they could have done a little swab, right? You mean they didn't? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. Wow. If only so. he would have done 23 and me, he could have got right, it Exactly. Done, so. Exactly. Yeah. He probably had one-of-a-kind so, DNA, right? This is, this is a very interesting question, actually. Uh, whose DNA uh, did God use in order to create the body of Jesus? We know that God created the body of Jesus, Ooh. for example, in Hebrews 10, it says that, but a body you prepared for me in the womb of the virgin. Interesting. So the, que- so the question is, did Jesus actually contain Mary's DNA or not? I think that when you look at Adam, God didn't use any pre-existing DNA to create Adam. Right. So when he created Jesus, who is called in scripture, by the way, the second Adam, um, I think I think, I believe I have concluded from Scripture that that Jesus didn't actually include any of 
Jesus, uh, Mary's DNA, but was a complete individual created separately within the womb of the Virgin. So Mary was more of a surrogate than than an actual uh, DNA uh, contributing mother. But the main point is what uh, Pastor Tom just mentioned, that Jesus was human in every way. He was made like his brothers in every way, except was without sin. And I think that without sin is very important. When you think about if Jesus would have inherited uh, the DNA from previous generations. Well, wouldn't he then have inherited Adam's sin nature? And that's why I have concluded from Scripture that I I don't think Mary's DNA was in Jesus. But it, Scripture, you know, doesn't say exactly what DNA Jesus had. So the main point is, is that Jesus was made like his brothers in every way. He was fully human while never ceasing to be God. You know, I come up with these great theological answers to these things, <laughs> yeah. and here's mine. It worked. <laughs> it just worked perfectly, and Jesus truly was tempted. He truly went through what we struggle with Indeed. from beginning to the very end, and yet, the Bible says, without sin. So he totally showed us how to walk with the Father, even as human beings, and it's astounding what he did. And so I take great joy in that, and uh, when I get to heaven— I've always told my wife, that's one of the first questions they're going to ask. She said, Tom, you'll be so overwhelmed by that. You won't even think of that question. I said, I don't like that. I want to know, but I don't think I'll know all of the answers like this. What I will know is being in the presence of the Lord. Amen. Mm. Your wife is very wise. All right, let's move on. Um, The Lord has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts. So their eyes cannot see and their hearts cannot understand. And they cannot turn to me and let me heal them. That's John twelve forty. Right. Uh, explain, Jeff. You want to start, or I'll jump right in. Is is this one of these multiple choice questions you throw in every once in a while, or no, or no? I, it was a selection, election question mark. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I think that when you look at all the places in Scripture where someone is hardened, where God turned, gives them over, where God hardens their heart, where he blinds them. It, it's, it always is in unbelief. So the, the people that have rejected the Lord, because look, we are all free will agents. We get to choose whether or not we are going to believe in God, believe the gospel, believe in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. I'm a firm believer that God has made us with free will. And that we can choose, just as Joshua said, choose this day who you will serve. As for me and my house, I will serve the Lord. So theologically, I don't, I, I, I don't think God hardens a certain people so that they can't be saved, and therefore the vice vice versa, elects certain other people so that they can be saved. I, I just I don't believe that's biblical. So Here, however, he's speaking specifically of the Jewish people. The Jewish people are unique in this sense, that because they ended up rejecting the Messiah, God has hardened their hearts. They've been hardened in part until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in, and their hardness has meant salvation for the rest of the nations of the world. The stone that the builders rejected became their capstone and became our salvation. So just as Romans says the gospel was preached first to the Jew, then to the Gentiles, because it because of their rejection, the gospel then moved to the Gentile world. So I think that Israel is experiencing the hardening in part until the end of days. You know, I always struggled with this because I grew up being taught 
and I can biblically show this, the Lord does no evil. The Lord is not, you know, imbued with sin. The Lord doesn't do anything that is destructive apart from, you know, what people are really doing to themselves. And as I look at this John twelve forty, and as you many of you know, I always go to the Greek text. It's interesting because the actual Greek words, here's how it actually reads, blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, see with their eyes and understand with their hearts and turn, and I would heal them. It, the emphasis is on what the person has done. It's not on what the Lord has done to them in this text. So we put in the, the additional words, the translators, to make it a little more understandable. And I understand that. And that can be a good thing. But the onus here, the burden of them not seeing and hearing, does not fall on the Lord or enforcing them to do it. It's That's what they are doing. And it says, as it says in Romans, so therefore he gave them over. He let them continue down the path of hardened hearts and blind eyes, and you do that long enough in anything, and you become blind to yourself. And that's exactly what the Lord permitted. Now, the Lord wants to redeem them, but they have to be willing to give that up as well. We still have a free will. Absolutely. And, you know, in, in 2 Corinthians 3, it says, whenever, whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. So Israel does have a veil in part right now. But again, it says that if they were to turn to the Lord, the veil would be taken away. So I don't think it's God making them uh, somehow, giving them an inability to believe the gospel. Exactly. Because the Lord's will is that all be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. And that word all means all. There's nobody left out. Nice job, gentlemen. All right. 877-933-2400. Eight four again eight seven seven nine three three two four eight four. You're listening to Guy Talk, or Guys Who Talk, and we will answer your Bible questions. Uh, so a little pushback on Mary. Uh, I disagree. Mary was not a surrogate. Jesus lacked the sin factor, but that's it. I understand what the person's saying, and there are traditions that want to see that and it was half of her. It was her egg, and the, the father. Is that was, what you think it ha- happened? No, I you don't. Think, you think Mary? Ovulated and then the no. Holy Spirit connected some. No, I creating think, a zygote. I've always believed. <laughs> Listen to me. What am I, a scientist here? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's impressive. Rosie's looking at me like, oh, it's, now he's gone off the deep end. Wow, you yes. know this is a scientific program. Get me a white like. doctor coat, would you please? Come on, Mary. When, when when I was answering, if I can, Tom, go ahead, just Jeff. jump in real quick because when I was describing this. I said, this is an interesting question. Yeah. It's an interesting question to ponder because we don't know for certain, but some will argue that because if it was Mary's egg, that sin is passed through the seed of the man. And that's generally the argument that because therefore there was no man's seed, God could still use the egg of Mary. And mm. I'm not a biologist either here, but it, it scripture doesn't say that either. It doesn't say that sin is passed on through the seed of man. In fact, it says what I believe it says the opposite, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So I think if God would have used any part of any person, that he he, he would have inherited the the sin that was caused by Adam. So that's why I make the conclusion. But, at, but as I said at the start of my answer, this is an interesting question to ponder, and that's about it. Yeah, excellent. The good news is this. I'm not dependent on Mary. I'm not dependent on Joseph. I'm dependent on what came out of her womb, and his name is Jesus. And that's the bottom line for the whole thing. Thank you, Tom Parrish, for that, once again, solid wisdom. Jeff Verdorn, 
are my guests. We're going to take a break. Very uh, shortly, we'll be back. Looking forward to answering your question. 877-933-2484. Oh, life can be filled with distractions. I saw a survey that said the average person will look at their phone 320 times a day. This Lent, let's take a moment to step away from all the distractions and let's read the Bible together. You can start this wonderful program called Reading the Bible Together with Us, and you can learn how to better connect with God through His Word and through studying ancient disciplines practiced by Jesus himself. You can sign up for this free study now at myfaithradio.com. Let's spend this season of Lent focusing on our Savior, on the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, and what fuels our minds and our hearts to be more devoted followers of Jesus. Again, sign up for the free study now at myfaithradio.com. All right, we're back with God Talk, or Guys Who Talk, and so far the questions have been fantastico. <laughs> I like it. It's fantastico. It is very good. Very good. Why are we talking with bad accents all of a sudden? I don't know. The music. The music. <laughs> yeah, it was the music, yeah. I see it was subliminal. Whoa. Yeah. All right, gentlemen, uh, good questions coming in. Here's one. What do you men think when preachers say you need to repent of your sins and believe in Christ for salvation? Wouldn't that be a work of righteousness? Can one really name all their sins and say, I repent of them? Isn't repenting just a change of mind? Tom Parrish, look at you. Well, it certainly is. Actually, uh, repentance is more of a change of brains. You know, you're exchanging your brain for Jesus' brain is what it comes down to. But what it, what it really is talking about here is that we're not naming all of our sins when we repent. And to lay them out is not a work that makes the Lord love us or forgive us. It's that we're finally admitting, and I like the term surrender. We are repentance is our way of surrendering to Jesus and saying, I'm not God. I'm not the Savior. There's nothing I can do to make this right. And Lord, I throw myself at your feet and your shed blood, and you're absolutely it. So no, it's not a work, but it is a command. And that command is to literally lay yourself at the feet of Jesus. So when you do that, uh, then of course the Lord uh, power comes in and you have his salvation, his love, his purpose. Uh, for the rest of your life. And so that's what we're called to do. Amen. And if if I heard a preacher preaching that you need to repent and believe, I'd say amen and amen. The time has come for the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news for your salvation, uh, Mark one fifteen. First John 1 9 says, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of all unrighteousness. So the, the idea is that we don't have to list out every single sin that we have. It's that we recognize that we are a, a, we are sinful before a holy God, um, and that when we confess that to God, that says, Lord, I'm, you're righteous, and I'm not. I'm sinful, and you're perfect, but I believe in you, 
And that's when he says, I'm going to take my righteousness and make you righteous. I'm going to clothe you in the righteousness of Christ. That's what theologians call imputed righteousness. So when he says he forgives you, he cleanses you, he purifies you from all unrighteousness when you recognize that you are a sinner. It's, It's not that you have to list off every sin. This is where I think Satan loves to do this. He likes to take people that have given their life to Jesus and then say, have you really given enough? I mean, there's got to be sins in there you really haven't dealt with. Do you remember in second grade when you said this or that? I mean, it, it goes on like that, and I think that most Christians are uncomfortable, and I think this is why we get caught up in. I had one gentleman tell me, he said he really hopes that he dies right after taking Holy Communion. And I said to him, why? He said, because then I'll know my sins are forgiven and I can go to heaven. What a misunderstanding of the Word of God. That's not what it's about here. What I try to tell at the congregation I serve is this. When you initially repent and receive Jesus into your life, you're surrendering. From that moment on, there are only two reasons you deal with sin in your life. One is to be show thankfulness to Jesus for all he's done so that you listen to what he says and do it. And second, my goal now is to become like Jesus to one another. And that means when I'm wrong, I've got to admit I'm wrong. When I've sinned, I want to repent of that because I want people to see Jesus is in me, not the stupid Tom that can do these things. And if I don't repent openly or be willing to do that, uh, it's powerful. I mean, we, we lose the power of the Lord. And I, I remember I had a, a confirmation class, and one of the students said, the reason I believe my dad is such a godly man, and I want to be just like my dad because he wants to be just like Jesus. And I thought, wow, that's the best thing I could have ever heard. Because he said, my dad will actually come to me and repent when he's done something wrong toward me. Amazing. But every Christian I- should be doing this. I could sit in a church with a pastor who preaches that message. That's the real message. That's what we got to get out to people. Mm-hmm. Amen. All right. All right. As we continue Guy Talk or Guys Who Talk, I will remind our power panel that we always speak uh, loving and kind and full of grace, which you gentlemen do beautifully. So Thank I you. want to commend you on that. Thank you. Now, I'm going to ask, uh, I'm going to ask a follow-up question made by a listener that says, I am Catholic, mm-hmm. and we call the Immaculate Conception, we, we call Mary the Immaculate Conception because we believe at the moment Mary was conceived, she was conceived without sin. Yes. God gives us everything we need to fulfill our purpose. Yeah. Yeah. And and the the only reason there is a division between Roman Catholicism and even Eastern Orthodoxy, and Protestants is what happened under Martin Luther. Luther said, look, it's only the the books of the Bible, not the Holy Tradition. And the Holy Tradition is where the Immaculate Conception comes from. I'm not saying that that's wrong. I'm just saying from our Protestant point of view, we only look to Scripture. It's not there. Our Roman Catholic friend, there may be something in historical tradition that supports that and for whatever the Lord wants to do, he can do it that way if he wants to. I just want to stick with what's actually in the Word of God, not beyond that. And for me, we we study history, we love the tradition, but we don't make it a doctrine. That's mm-hmm. all. You know, I, I, I applaud the questioner because I've actually asked oh, maybe a couple dozen Catholic folks that I know, what is the doctrine of the Immaculate Conception? And literally about almost all of them except one or two 
said that it was the uh, virgin birth of Jesus Christ. And as the questioner pointed out, no, that's not the doctrine of the Immaculate Conception. The, the Catholic doctrine of the Immaculate Conception is that Mary is born without original sin. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, therefore, when we were talking about her egg and that Jesus would would inherit sin from her, they believe that Mary was also without sin, like Jesus. And I would just point out, I I don't find any scriptures to justify that teaching that Mary was without uh, any kind of original sin or this doctrine of immaculate conception. Okay, thanks. If anybody else would like to jump in on that portion of our conversation, 877-933-2484. Gentlemen, yeah, anybody, anybody else like all the Catholics who've been <laughs> taught taught this, uh, uh, you know, for, in in their in their church, it's 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 hard to speak of denominational differences, um, and 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 so what we try to do on on Guy Talk, by the way, if I can just say this, is we try to stick with Scripture and say what does Scripture say? What can we glean from Scripture, and and interpreting that? So, like Pastor Tom said. We don't want to rely on the traditions of men, but on God's Word, not on how people interpret God's Word, but on the Word of God itself. So if there was any Bible passages that said that Mary was born without sin, uh, I would believe it in in a moment. Uh, But we have to search Scriptures to see what's true, just like the Bereans, and they search the Scriptures every day to see if what God says was true. But there's a billion people in the world who— who uh, uh, trust in the Catholic traditions and have been growing up in the Catholic traditions of, of Christianity uh, who believe differently. So I get that, and, and we have to speak to that appropriately, obviously. And to all my Roman Catholic friends, same thing I say to my Protestant friends. Throw yourself at the feet of Jesus, trust him alone, and we'll have a good time in heaven. Hmm. Amen. I like it. All right, this next uh, verse comes from... Uh, Zechariah chapter 14, verse 2, and this is a pretty harsh verse. I will gather all the nations to Jerusalem to fight against it. The city will be captured, the houses ransacked, and the women raped. Half of the city will go into exile, but the rest of the people will not be taken from the city. That is the verse. And of course, the question is, why, if God is good, will he gather the nations to do that to women? There are two ways, uh, and I studied Zechariah a lot, and I love Zechariah, and I love biblical prophecy. There are two ways you can interpret this. Number one, if you were an apostle or a follower of Jesus, and you lived to 66 AD to 70 and watched the Romans come in and do exactly what Ezekiel said— you probably would have said, hey, that's already happened. It was a horrible thing. Uh, probably the biggest bloodshed we know of in human history in the way that was done. Over a million Jews, they believe, were killed when it was destroyed. But on the other hand, if this is in the future yet, again, the Lord's not doing this out of meanness or whatever. It is the result of human nature and a refusal to turn to the Lord. And that includes both the people in Jerusalem and the people who come and do this. So... It's easy to be angry okay. at the Lord. It's really the problem of the people. Mm-hmm. Very, very interesting, Tom Parrish. Thank you for that answer. I'm going to have to listen to that one more time because that was really, really wise, and I got to chew on that. We're going to take a short break, which means when we come back, we're going to try to do our best to answer your question. All you do is send it over via text, 
You can, of course, remain anonymous. 877-933-2484. I'll give you that one more time. 877-933-2484. And I don't know if you've gotten the Faith Radio app yet, but I must admit it's pretty cool. You can listen to Faith Radio live or on demand no matter where you go. You can download that free Faith Radio app at your app store today. Check it out. If you don't like it, you can take it off your phone. But give it a try. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the show, and if you just joined me, welcome for the first time. We're uh, enjoying Guy Talk today, and it's going to be an extended version, which means we're going an extra half hour, no extra charge on from the panel. Uh, so yeah, we're going to take your questions, uh, 877-933-2484. Again, 877-933-2484. My power panel are my friends Tom Parrish and Jeff Verdorn. Always glad to have my friends together. All right, gentlemen. I feel like I should know this, in, but in the Lord's Prayer, what does lead us not into temptation mean? I think it goes with the second, the line right after that, but deliver us from evil. So when uh, temptation is kind of internal, uh, evil is external, if you will, that, upon us, it happens to us, the trials and tribulations of the day. And and I think what he is saying is, is we know that God doesn't tempt, right? He never tempts anybody. He never causes anybody to sin. And so it's not, it, it can't be, What here's what it can't be. It can't be that, hey, God, don't tempt me to sin. I, I don't, that, that can't be it because God doesn't tempt. He's not a tempter of persons, and, and he doesn't cause us to be tempted or to sin. He tempts no one. Um, and then keeping us and protecting us from evil is the second part of that. Is It's basically keep us safe from the evil one. There's evil in this world. When it talks about the restraining force in, in Thessalonians, when, it, when, when uh, you know, the, the, the enemy comes to kill and to and to destroy and and that's the world that we live in and we've been set apart we've been uh, you know sealed by his holy spirit and we are now his and i love the passage that says that greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world while the enemy can destroy the body the flesh this body there's been many people who have been killed for their faith throughout the centuries no one including the enemy can touch your eternal salvation, that your inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, God says, shielded by his power until that day. So no one can touch you eternally. And I, I, that's that's an amazing promise to me. And every time we talk about kind of spiritual battles, sin, so on, I remind myself that greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. Good word. Uh, various translations have kind of changes this around. The Lord's Prayer, through our traditions, we're predominantly from the King James Version, the 1611. 
And so this is the way it's written in the 1611, lead us not into temptation. Basically, though, you go back to the original language, you go back to before that, and you try to put it together. And we've got two things we've got to deal with. Number one, the Greek has no commas, no periods. It's just all written together. So when you have, and lead us not into temptation, well, that flows right together, and we think that makes sense. But it can also be translated and lead us not into temptation. In other words, protect us from the time of temptation, not bring us into it. And so there's two ways to uh, read that, and many translations now are saying, uh, save us from the time of trial. So it's basically putting the burden on, not on the Lord that he's leading us into this, but we're asking him to deliver us from this and also from the evil that comes with it. So it's more of a, a positive than it is a negative, but you know, we, we've gotten used to our traditions and the way things are translated, and sometimes we don't get the full picture like we'd like to. Mm-hmm. I just noticed that in my footnotes it says, or testing, yeah. uh, which would fit in very well with your answer, Pastor Tom. They fit together, and it's, I mean, in, in all of my walk with the Lord Jesus, I've never felt that he's put me in a bad position either to see what I'll do or to make my life miserable. If anything, he rescues me. Mm. He saves me. He gives me new insights. He brings people into my life that will help me. It's a positive. It's not a negative. And that's the way I feel about when I read Scripture. And that's why I look very closely at the original text, because I can't find anywhere in there where the Lord's trying to put us down. He's always trying to lift us up. We're the resistant people. We're the problem, not the Lord. Okay. And, and if I can, just let me read that verse. It's from James 1. He says, when you are tempted to do wrong, do not say God is tempting me. God cannot be tempted. He will never tempt anyone. So we know that, like we were talking about earlier, that God does not tempt. All right, I'm going to move on. My next question is, in reading the Lenten journey this morning, it is talking about why some of our prayers go unanswered. It says Scripture has various reasons for this, including the timing of God's will, but the most compelling is that we face an enemy that blocks, diverts, or steals our prayers. Can you explain this a little better? Well, it's interesting. There is one reference in the Bible that would directly relate to the question the person has put in here. Uh, That's in Daniel, of course, chapter 10, verses 12 and 13, how Daniel had prayed, and uh, then there was a three-week delay before he got an answer. But the angel who comes to him says, hey, the Lord heard your prayer immediately. But as the angel, I got delayed by the prince of Persia. Whatever that means, I don't fully understand that. So the burden is not on the Lord in answering the prayer. The burden was on the messenger bringing the answer or however that works together. But I've been looking at this because I've been preaching on these topics. And it's amazing how many times the Bible talks about, I mean, like in uh, uh, James and in Matthew, you know, wrong motives are really a lot of the problem with our prayers. Most of us can't sort our own heart and our own greed and our own desires from our real needs and the will of the Lord. So motive can get in the way. That's a big one. Unconfessed sin can get in the way. And the Bible has about 20 of these uh, listed out with Scripture verses that talk about why prayers aren't answered. And I would recommend people look at that. And if you want more information, um, Bill can help you out, and I'll make sure we give you a website <laughs> there. there's information on it. We want to get that information to you, but if you just, I think it's easier if you just go on the internet and type in biblical reasons for unanswered prayer, you'll find some pretty good stuff. And I looked yeah, at the, uh, I've looked at a lot of those in the past. 
I actually have, I'm a collector of lists, as you know, and, and I make lots of lists. One of my lists is about unanswered prayer and why sure. uh, we don't have an unanswered prayer. We, first, you got to remember, God is omniscient. As, as Tom, as you pointed out from the Daniel 12 story, God heard the prayers. He hears and knows all things. That's what omniscience is. He knows before we even ask. He is the one who searches the minds and hearts of man examines the hearts of man, so he knows. Uh, Tom rattled off a couple, few of these reasons. Um, I think sin, sin talked about, especially when it comes to Israel as a rebellious nation that was sinful, who followed after other gods. Uh, they for, for had forsaken the Lord, and he then. Uh, decided he wasn't going to answer their prayers like he did before. Uh, one of the big ones, I think, for Christians is that we are asking not according to God's will. That First uh, John 5 says, mm -hmm. this is the confidence that we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will. Um, I think we ask for a lot of things outside of God's will, and then we're, we're upset when we don't get it, right? Um, you mentioned impure motives from James, and there's another, there's an interesting passage in Peter, First Peter three, that says, "Husbands, in the same way, be considerate to your to your wives, and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you, so that nothing will hinder your prayers." Hmm. Wow. How we treat our wives can hinder our prayers. Um, also, remember, sometimes God just says no. Right. I mean, I think of Paul with the thorn in the flesh. He prayed three times for God to take this away from him, and God's answer was no, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. And then then I think there's another answer other than yes and that or no, and that is wait. And that sometimes we have to be patient upon the Lord and wait for his answer. Um, and and I don't think that, going back to the question, I don't think Satan can block prayers. I, I, I just, I don't see that in scripture anywhere. Yeah. The prayer, the, the, the prayers, if you are a believer in Christ Jesus, you can access his throne of grace anytime in your time of need. And if he knows your hearts, even before your prayers, I don't think Satan can block your prayers at all. Um, one last word I would say, there's one prayer that God always says yes to, and that is the prayer for salvation. Amen. He always answers yes. Amen. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I went to a seminar years ago on prayer, and the prayer people gave us a like a, a wheel, and it had 12 parts on it, and it had different things to pray for. And as I went through it, there was only one part about me, <laughs> which I was surprised at, you know, where I could tell the Lord what I wanted. The other ones were praise and thanksgiving and praying for other people and, you know, that kind of stuff. And I had to really come to grips with that because I think the problem for most Christians is that most of our prayers are, Lord, I'm here to tell you what I need. I'm here to tell you what's wrong in my life. I'm here to tell you what's wrong in my family. The Lord already knows that. Very few of us spend time really giving praise and thanks to the Lord Jesus for who he is. And when we don't do that, it's very hard to hear his answers because I think I keep putting up barriers because I'm looking for a specific answer on a specific problem for my need rather than what is the Lord's will and what are you doing in this, Jesus, so I can see you in this. Mm -hmm. This conversation, gentlemen, is prompting me to ask if there's someone right now listening who really is in crisis and, yeah. and needs immediate prayer because we would like to pray for you 
um, before the hour ends. So if that's you and you know exactly it's you, uh, send us a text, 877-933-2484. Again, 877-933-2484. All right, uh, gentlemen, let's see. Here's one. I'm curious how your panel would comment on the story of Rebecca and Jacob deceiving Isaac so that Jacob, not Esau, would receive his father's blessing. It's such a dysfunctional situation, and I find myself ask, uh, questioning why God would bless that. Is there a different way I should be looking at that story? This has been a tough one for me uh, for a long time in the sense that deception was used in order to have the blessing pass through Jacob, and yet we know that God chose Jacob to be the father of the, the people of Israel. So we know that God chose Abraham and from Ur, Abram of Ur. We, he chose Isaac, right? The, the, the child of the free woman, not the child of the slave woman. And he chose Jacob, the younger uh, of the two twins between Esau and Jacob. So we know that God chose Jacob, but how that came about uh, was through a story that's filled with deception, and so I'm I'm kind of with the the questioner. I've I've always wanted to figure out, man, how, how why is that? How did, why did God allow that to happen that way? And I think then you start thinking throughout the Bible, and there's actually a lot of stories in the Scripture where God accomplished his his purposes, uh, even by the the unbiblical or uh, sinful actions, if I may, of man. Um, you know, just off the top of my head, Rahab in the in the spies, she lied about you know the situation that they were going through, and and but God used that to free the spies and and got out of the city uh, successfully. Um, so there's actually he uses nations and sinful nations for his purposes to judge to bring judgment upon Israel, Babylon, for example. So he uses the sinful actions of the high priest and the the teachers of the law, the Pharisees, who go and arrest Jesus and bring them before Pilate, a Roman, and and they kill him. And yet the sinful actions of man was exactly what what God had in plan planned for, that his son would come and die on a cross at the at the hands of man. God came to earth and yet man killed God. Um, so I think we actually see God using these kinds of actions throughout Scripture. That's an excellent word. It would have taken me three times longer, so thank you, Jeff. <laughs> nice, <laughs> nicely done. Let me take a short break, and we'll be back in just 90 seconds. If you heard my earlier plea that if you are in crisis, I've just been feeling a prompting to say, if there is someone right now in that place and you need prayer, that would be time to text it over. Let us know what it is, or at least how we can pray. 877-933-2484. I guess the word crisis means there's something critical. Um, So, yeah, maybe there's an ambulance on the way to the hospital or something of that nature. All right, we'll be right back. Faith Radio and Afternoons with Bill podcasts are available because of listener support. If you are a supporter, thank you so much. Becoming a supporter today by visiting myfaithradio.com. 
Thanks for tuning in to Guy Talker, guys who talk. Tom, Parrish, Jeff, Verdorn are my friends in my power panel answering our, your questions the best of our ability. All right. This is an interesting question, gentlemen. How did Jesus transition from carpenter to rabbi? Did he get a certificate from the synagogue? I mean, he was, how did he get the title of rabbi? Just because he was recognized as a teacher? I think, quite frankly, and I'm preaching on John 3, 1 to 8 this Sunday about being born again in Nicodemus. Nicodemus, you know, says, hey, we recognize you as, as a teacher sent from God. And I think that's what it was. Teach, Jesus taught in a way that surpassed the rabbis of the day, and people responded to that. And the few ones, like Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus and others, recognized that, and the people recognized that, and the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees hated him because of that. The people were calling them him rabbi when that was the title for them. Hmm. But he taught in a phenomenal way. Yeah, I think the power of his speech is evident in the Gospels where people say, you know, who who is this guy? Who's, who is able to teach like this? He preaches with such authority because he is speaking the very words of God as God incarnate. So, you know, it's it's not like he graduated from seminary, you know, and became a pastor and started teaching. He is the Word incarnate. The Word became flesh, and I think the men around him actually recognized that. See, I've come to the conclusion. Now, look, I, I'm a Lutheran. I've got a long Lutheran background. I went four years to college, four years to seminary, uh, worked on a PhD and all that kind of stuff. I'm not sure I believe in it in that traditional way anymore. And the reason is it becomes too academic. I would much rather see us raise up people within the congregation who we we nurture, we mentor, we work with, maybe send them to Bible school. But I think the whole understanding of good Bible teachers and good Bible preachers and that are called by the Lord. They're simply not educated in the Lord. Mm-hmm. And we turned it into an educational process. And that's why many of the churches today seem to be straying away from the Word of God. Yeah, nice. All yeah, right. Let me read the end of Matthew 7 really quick. When okay. Je- this is his longest sermon, one of his longest sermons in all of Scripture. He says, when Jesus had finished saying these things. The crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. Ooh. 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 Nice find, <laughs> Jeff Verdorn. That's, That's a good one. Great. I love that. That's a good one. He might be MVP of the day. That is impressive. Yeah. yeah. It's, well, in the, it's in the Bible, you know. <laughs> <laughs> All right, but still, you found it. <laughs> yeah, good work. All right, how would you answer someone that rejects the Bible as true on the basis that, one, it was written by man, and two, all the books may not be there. Well, there's a lot of arguments like this, and I think it's a very false argument, because most of the people that I know that object or use this language cannot back it up with evidence. They're very quickly to say, hey, it was just written by men, or, you know, there's there's other books out there, like the Gospel of Thomas and others that are not in there, where aren't those included? Number one, History tells us whether they're not there. If you do your historical research, you'll find out why these books were not included, because most of them came from the 3rd and 4th century. Mm-hmm. The ones that are that we have came from either the apostles or the direct dis- students of the apostles who could actually quote from them. And when you have that, then you have a very close eyewitness report. And as they discover more and more archaeology, they're getting closer and closer to the original languages or original words, and they're still pretty much what we've got. So there is the information, but I find if you don't really look into it in depth, you're going to come to that conclusion. 
I try to challenge people to do the study, do the research, go in depth, take a look at it, and I can recommend things. And when people do that, uh, they almost always come back and say, gee, I didn't know that. That's really good to know. I, I didn't realize that was there. So it's, I say there's a difference between ignorance and stupidity. Ignorance is you don't know. Stupidity is you know and don't do. I think most of us are dealing with ignorance with a slight bit of stupidity thrown in. <laughs> good, good, good answer. Um, yeah, I mean, we, we know that Scripture declares itself to be, even though it was penned by men, that the, the words that are in Scripture is from God. So 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All Scripture is God-breathed, useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Um, Peter talks about prophecy and that men wrote the, the Bible as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So this is the doctrine of inspiration, yeah. that the words of Scripture were inspired by God. So when he says these are the that they were penned by men, of course, they were the ones who wrote it down. But it's God who inspired every word in Scripture. And and having been someone who has, who has studied the Bible for much of my adult life, uh, I can tell you that it is consistent in across from Genesis to Revelation, consistent in truth— um, is reconcilable across, and it's, it's one piece of literature from beginning with to end with one author, and that is God himself. The process of the canon that Tom mentioned is an interesting area of study because when the the false uh, books started to arrive, like, like Tom said, centuries later, um, the books that were being used by the church and considered scripture, uh, the church basically decided we need to make a list and canonize the list of books that are that we are using as scripture as to uh, eliminate the possibility of any more books being added to this, like the Gospel of Thomas, the Gospel of Mary, and so on, that some of these Gnostic Gospels that came along centuries later. Um, so it's not as if man made up the list. Uh, it, it's more like man was using the list from God, and they just codified it, if you will. And by the way, the Old Testament was kept by the Jewish people, who are God's chosen people. They are the ones who are the keepers of the law, the keepers of the Old Testament book. So I don't think any entity other than Israel should be trying to add any books to the Old Testament either. So I think we can have a very high degree of confidence that the books of the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, are God's word. I have one more example that I think might be helpful. The consistency of what the Bible teaches from Genesis to Revelation, and like Jeff, I've studied this for a long time. There is a consistency that is amazing, but I'm going to show my age. I remember in kindergarten and first grade, we played a little game called telephone. And so you'd sit in a little circle, and I'd whisper to the person, you know, dolphins swim in warm water. And then the next person would tell the next person, they're supposed to repeat that, but they usually say, Dolphins can't swim in warm water. And by the time it gets back to the end, we're not even talking about dolphins anymore. If we can't do that in a small circle like that in a few minutes, give yourself 1,500 years of which the Bible was written in, and the story should not be consistent, but they are. That's mm -hmm. impressive. Mm -hmm. All right, we've got—go uh, ahead, Jeff. Well, I was just going to say, one of the things that the Dead Sea Scrolls proved to us is that even though we don't have the original manuscripts of the Old Testament, for example, or the New, for that matter, yeah. uh, when we found copies of much of the Old Testament much later than what we had had before, we found out that there had been virtually no change over the hundreds of years that these were 
older. In the same way, people want to say, well, these are just stories passed on from generation to generation. No, the New Testament was written down within the lifetime of the apostles who saw Jesus, as Tom was talking about earlier. Mm-hmm. Uh, his resurrection was written down in the Gospels. Um, in the lifetime of all of, of, of all the people that could have written counter arguments that no this didn't happen so um so it, it's just the idea that these were just stories upon stories passed down from generation mm-hmm. to generation so on orally and have risk of change is just it's not accurate all right we're going to go to prayer we've got a number of crisis type requests that have come in and i, I wanted to close out our time uh in this hour we're going to continue for another half hour so if you didn't get your questions answered you hopefully will have time in the next half hour tom Parrish. Pastor Tom, would you please pray? I'm happy to do it. These are listeners. These are real issues. Let's pray for them right now. Lord, we pray for the family with a 10-year-old daughter who's in psychiatric care. You know exactly what's going on, Lord, in her brain and her body and her life. Bring healing, Jesus. Put your shed blood over her and your name and restore her, Lord, totally. We think of a person who need, who says they want to follow uh, God, Tori. Lord, help Tori to do this. Open the door so that they hear the truth and follow Jesus. Mary's looking for a job. Lord, you know what job Mary's qualified for, what you've built her for. Provide that job and provide it this very week. Steve needs clarity for a specific issue. Lord, you know what that issue is. There's no surprises for you. Deal with that issue and give Steve an insight and the power that he can't even dream of right now and heal that. And we do pray for a foster daughter whose life is very difficult. And Lord, it's always difficult when you come from another family. There's so many things. Heal this young woman. Heal her, Lord, and heal the family and unite them biologically with the DNA, whatever you want to do, so that they are really a family and not just a foster family. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Tom Parrish. We're going to take a little break and we're going to continue more God Talk. So we're uh, still looking for your question. If you want to send it over, 877-933-2484. Again, 877-933-2484. My guest and friends and power panel is Pastor Tom Parrish and Jeff Verdorn. We're always glad uh, when they can gather and answer questions. So if you've got one, send it over. And after God Talk, I'm going to have Bible teacher Beverly Canaris join us, and she's going to teach us on how to be better students of the Bible. That's all next. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.